focused it was on the cessation of stopping suffering and stress eradication elimination of suffering and stress many things he taught on that theme and many things he said he knew but didn't teach because they weren't pertinent to that theme Um, you know the nature of the world the origins of the world all this um, more cosmological, philosophical stuff. It's really what would we need to do to stop suffering, eliminate it, clean it away. <coughs> um, so it's a very pragmatic um, presentation, not an idealistic thing. We're not looking to um, attain any ideal. Uh, but really to realize, have a practical, experiential realization of cleaning away the suffering and stress in our lives. That's a very, that's a heartful approach. Sometimes it finds it intellectually, can be, there are a few blank spaces in there. You know, though, though people have developed a profound intellectual um, elucidation of the Buddha's teaching. Um, Much of this the Buddha didn't teach. It may be relevant, it's not that it's irrelevant, but but essentially we find in in the Buddha's teaching it's very much like a a sense of care and concern for people's welfare. so it is teaching that relates to the heart and how we're affected and how we're moved. <coughs> Certainly things that Buddha didn't say, talk a lot about the nature of Nibbana. You know, people have been puzzling over it ever since. So to bother to think about it. What do you mean by that? That's interesting. He's <laughs> 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 you know, speculate around it. Tathagata does exist after death or not. This and that, the other nature of a Buddha, what the Buddha's about, what our ants think. He said, Don't bother to think about this. So, it's interesting, just think about that. Um, so, you know, one can find certain intellectual curiosity, kind of delight that we have mm-hmm. in forming clear, uh, thorough maps of everything patterns of everything, intellectual delight. It can be very uh, fun. Mm. Buddhists primarily concerned with liberating the heart, healing the heart.
teaching of course comes across in words and we read it in books so we, we approach it in the present day through our thinking minds uh, and there's a certain problem with that a certain thing we've got to be careful about with that because we're approaching it through this particular faculty thinking faculty which is a faculty which delights in thoughts and ideas we can speculate and conclude and add up and, sub- add up and subtract and this that and the other get it all quite clear in the head and um, you know, walk away feeling satisfied we know something and it isn't necessarily permeated penetrated through to the heart sometimes very simple teachings very simple expositions you know, are extraordinarily difficult to really penetrate to in the heart mm. just being present you know it's that three words uh, and uh, somehow you know the might the cantita and skitter away from that not feel settled in that even thing like breathing in and out you know, which we do all the time but attending to it can be excruciatingly difficult for us so very very simple teachings can um, you know, bring it, remind us that, that even though the idea is quite a simple one, the actual realization is profound and takes a lot of practice. And we begin to recognize there are sometimes quite profound boundaries and barriers between conceptual clarity and penetrative felt understanding or gnosis or realization morning I was talking about these three levels of being the, called the kaya, sankara which is the, the bodily, somatic experience that sense which is not like to do with sense contact not the, the way that it's not a tactile something that happens to us it's innate in, in the body it's an innate quality of bodily presence you know, which may be nervous it may be settled it may be restless it may feel comfortable it may be tense but it's a particular somatic tone when we feel well when we feel rested we feel pleased then it feels nice and when we feel stressed misunderstood um, you know intimidated it starts to get frozen and rigid and that's there's a bodily sense there. You can you know how what happens to your stomach when you get upset. You know how you feel really ill, yeah. and it's 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 visceral. It's like grief and rage and fear. They definitely have bodily effects. And it's so this is a somatic sense. Um, kaya sankara, translated as bodily formation, which leaves me kind of blank as to what that means but um, as, a, as an experience you know this is said to be led or bound up with or can be steered by the bodily process of breathing in and out which is an energetic magnet if you like because the body knows about breathing in and out 
body's really interested in breathing in and out. So when it starts happening, you know, everything lines, hey, there's the, there's, the, there's, the, there's the really useful, interesting bit, and everything in that can gather around it. When the, if the body, Sankara, is rested, is, is there, is present. Next level um, is the Chitta Sankara. This is the level of um, called mental formation. And it's, we might call this more a heart sense. Mental is, is not entirely a good word, but it's the affective sense, how we feel affected, how we feel touched. And we're touched by meanings or perceptions, something reassures us, something frightens us, something interests us, and you get a little charge. So there's a particular meaning. You see someone you know, and a little meaning has arisen, oh, friend, and then you get this charge comes up. Um, you know, so this is the Chitta Sankara, and it's led and bound up with perceptions, which are these recognizable meaning experiences. And that changes a lot. And feeling, a particular quality of pleasurable, disagreeable, um, or um, agreeable or disagreeable. So it's that which starts off our responses and reactions on a on a more voluntary basis. You know, the the bodily stuff is involuntary mostly for most most of the time heart stuff um, is something where a certain volitional quality gets gets arises you know we feel alarmed therefore there's a certain volition starts up jitta is the seat of volition it starts from there because we are pleased something some kind of sense of intentionality arises from there <coughs> removed, inspired, uh, intimidated, um, and so forth. And the particular volitional charges start running. And then we have the level of, of um, Bhaji Sankara, which is to do with cognitive acts, where we articulate and conceive and get a grasp on, think. So it can, it can be the very um, arising of a thought when we understand something conceptually. We go, ah, ah, that sense in which you can feel something clicks and crystallizes thinking. Whether a whole train of thought happens or not, just that, that very moment of, ah, got it, that's that. This is, you can feel things kind of focus. And this is called vitaka. Is the moment when a th- when we can conceive of something, something can be conceived of, and vichara is the way in which we start to play with that, handle it, turn it around. What does this remind me of? What does this lead to? You know, so this way, whole thought patterns get involved around that, and everything's running well. If if. <laughs> You know, then this whole thing is, is really you know, in, in good shape. 
things getting fine, you know, and then certain um, you know things affect us. That we we perceive things, we see things, uh, and are touched by that. And particular volitions arise, and we express those. Say, I don't want this. I like this. This is good. This is not good, and so on. We can express ourselves, and this all gets kind of messed up when, um, <coughs> as I was saying, the the we can't say that because it's not allowed, or nobody's listening, or if you do say it, you know, might get some, might be looked down upon. So this is big part of the, of the difficulty of, of socialization you know, or living in particularly in large communities that have very little connection you live in a town or a neighborhood where people don't really fit with each other or know each other or you know be with they just kind of glance at each other and you often share communal spaces where people do not connect do not want to connect do not even look at each other so you know there's so no way you can say anything um, and it doesn't feel right and your body doesn't feel very relaxed you can't say anything about it so the system starts to give up messages that can't be expressed so you kind of start to close it all down but you can't say you're closing it all down either <laughs> so this is a kind of state of, of um, sustained shock that we manage to kind of live within, getting breaks now and then. Um, and in that sense of sustained shock, then we seek relaxation or ease or pleasure to kind of give us something to come alive with again, where we can have fun, enjoy ourselves. So we, we seek pleasure through the senses. And there is, um, you know, it's interesting that, that you know, this is, is why there is so much need for entertainment. Entertainment industry is huge and escalating and, you know, all that. Because it's a way of an antidote to the amount of stress and shock and shutdownness that, that occurs for people. People lose their body sense, lose their heart sense, or it's kind of, very limited, gets very limited. Um, so we need these things to kind of come alive again. And so when we come, when we come on retreat, and maybe some of these sense doors get restrained, mm. you know, um, then we we perhaps get into touch with um, the the kind of sense of of shock, or flatness, or wrongness, or or whatever is happening, either whether we've got stories for it, it's just a nebulous feeling. Mm. So it's, um, and then we can um, start to <coughs> interpret these uh, teachings on things like sense restraint and morality as things that, uh, that we, from a kind of um, moralizing way, you should be good this is naughty, you should be good. Um, and so what is, you know, we, we end up then cutting off our sense of, of enjoyment or happiness without having anything to, to um, act to give us another sense of enjoyment or happiness. 
which should be our own innate well-being. So if we, do, we don't have, maybe we've lost that innate well-being and we're also cutting off ex- external sources of well-being. So we sit in this kind of starved state and um, feel, you know, this is genuine Buddhism now. It's probably doing me a lot of good. Because there is that, you know, the righteousness in the mind, in the, in the thinking mind. Yeah, we, you know, it's very much conditioned in terms of, of punishment and reward. You know, and um, things of the, like these kind of mentalities. And also of, of deserving things. You know, and not deserving things. So, in a way, sometimes we take these sense of austerity as, you know, well, I deserve this, or I don't deserve, you know, happiness, or whatever. So, this is all it really is, just the um, kind of ramifications of self-hatred or self-worthlessness. And we can, in a way, authenticate that and... um, you know, accept that, and even use somehow use the Buddha's teachings to authenticate and accept and resign ourselves to worthlessness. Because after all, there isn't a self anyway. It's even your very self is worthless. Um, if you had one, it would be worthless. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone's if anyone starts to manifest one. You know, we'll tell them it's it's some kind of delusion or worthless or corruption or depravity or canker or mildew of some sort. <laughs> Crop, you know, sticking up his nasty little head, and let's eradicate that. So you get a quite a and the this um, the thinking mind, which works in in ideas and absolutes, can take things which were just kind of like heart reflections as absolute statements. You know, there is no self. It's a kind of some absolute statement. Um, you know, and so anything that appears looks like a self will get rid of it. So, you know, the Waji, the thinking mind, works in these kind of black and white ways and um, abstract ways idealistic ways, intellectual ways. And it's, when it, particularly when it gets out of touch with uh, the heart realities and the felt sense realities, it's quite merciless and uh, we can do ourselves a lot of damage with that. We can end up internalizing the very um, toxins that we can find in our environment around us the sense of disconnection, the sense of mistrust, the sense of apprehension, the sense of friendlessness, the sense of um, competition and having to prove something, having to win something, and having to deserve something, and doing your job and being on time and not being dirty or naughty or smelly or anything like that. Shape up, get in, get in line, all this sort of stuff. 
you end up internalizing that. So, you know, when this is sitting on top of you, there's something and you start to struggle against all that. And then you get this kind of struggling, restless quality. And then this thing says, oh, you're restless, hindrance, defilement, shut up, stop, wipe it out. See, you know, this kind of process in going on, eliminate those defilements. Do you think this is really what the Buddha wanted us to be doing? Because actually, I've been, I've been doing this long before I was a Buddhist. I didn't need it. And I, I've been beating myself up for years. I didn't need a Buddha to tell me how to do that. I got straight A's. You know, in that. So, you know, I don't, so he doesn't really feel this is somehow something so specific to enlightened beings. This form of self-flagellation. It's always important to remember that the Buddha taught the ending of suffering and um, saying, you know, actually what was pretty radical for the Buddha and what he did get quite some criticism for, for was he taught pleasure. So there were numerous ascetics of that age. You know, different kinds of religious teachers that age, one lot were Brahmins who were, who were way out there on an ideal plane, you know, the higher self and this kind of ideal um, stuff. And then you've got the ascetics who were into, you know, well, let's get rid of this sensual stuff. This is getting in the way, so we try and you know, bleed this away or mortify it away. And the Buddha rejected both these. He said, you know, you don't want to go in the sky and you don't want to just destroy this. Try to, you know, I teach pleasure in this. And uh, <clears throat> when he was questioned by these various ascetics on this particular topic, uh, no, I think it was by, a, anyway, it doesn't really matter, but it was by someone or the other. Um, and he said, um, well, you know, he said, well, what about, you know, if you're into pleasure, then surely the king of Benares, you know, he's got a lot more pleasure than you have, you're just sitting under a tree in your old robes, eating one meal a day, what kind of fun is that? <laughs> uh, you know, and the Buddha said, well, you know, you think of the king of Benares, right? He's got all these scents and sandalwood and silk and wives and food and all this stuff. Every day he's to wonder, is anybody going to try and rub me out? Is anyone going to try and wage war on me? Is anyone going to poison my food? You know, gets up in the morning, starts worrying and fretting about it all. You know, um, concerned about his family. Is anyone going to try and kidnap my, my kids? Um, and so on. Continual state of worry about it all. What pleasure does he have? I sit here feeling free feeling I have no malice towards anyone. My heart is free from this stain of malice. It's free from the stain of fear and anxiety. I dwell happily. And uh, as I enter into samadhi, I can sit in a state of unbroken bliss for up to seven days and nights. 
beat that. <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, like some sort of, it was just like, this is really pleasant. This is really pleasant. And it's a recognition that, you know, we all seek pleasure, something that seeks pleasure, and we derive pleasure. Uh, and, we can d- and that comes in many different ways. So one can get a sort of a glimmering of pleasure, even from the sort of sense of, of um, thing, things that are, are mortifying. You get the pleasure of self-esteem. You know, I can bear this. I can starve. I can beat myself. I can bear all this. There's a certain sense of, you know, I've got, I've got something together here. And that's pleasant. One can derive pleasure from um, intellectual excitement. There's a certain sort of pleasure. See, scholars and students, philosophers get really quite animated, and um, you know, over ideas, they sort of glow with it. Uh, we can derive pleasure through seeing things through the eyes, gives us pleasure. Touching things, tasting things, and so forth. These kinds gives us pleasure. When the Buddha would say all this is. You say this is, yeah, it's pleasant, but it's pretty feeble, really, actually. Uh, Because it just touches the surface. Just, you know, it's like washes over the surface, doesn't saturate. Um, And the deepest kinds of pleasure are those which arise from um, good karma. That is, as I've been saying, we have this, (coughs) what arises with any skillful karma, that's intended, volitional uh, qualities of heart, one's aspiration, one's intentions, is a certain wholesome tone, um, which is pleasant. This is, uh, so um, this is associated with, I think the word is chetasika, which means it accompanies every mind state. It's a particular tonal quality. And, and the Buddha says that, you know, it is not possible to cultivate a skillful act without pleasure. And it is not possible to cultivate an unskillful act without a disagreeable, unpleasant result. Now you have to know where to look, of course. So it's coming into, and I feel that, um, you know, perhaps in that day and age people were less dissociated so you, you can actually, you see many times in the suttas how people seem to go into these states of extreme happiness quite quickly, just on, on feeling or recognizing the meaning of a teaching or the meaning of a Buddha or the meaning of a sage and start to feel this quality of happiness arising. Um, and when the Buddha gave teachings, generally in these graduated sequences, one sequence was starts off with just asking a person to recollect um, something like generosity. You know, you know, do you, do you enjoy that? Not do you, do you know? Do you have to give something so that people won't think you're stingy? Which is a kind, of <laughs> you know, which is a sort of publicity act, isn't it? It's not real generosity. It's like keep keep your keep your show on the road. You don't want to look like a like a skinflint, so fork out some dough. You know, the plate comes round and right. So this is not this is not generosity. This is just buying a bit of, of um, self-esteem or, or fending off the blame syndrome. 
but generosity is the free will quality. And he, oh, that's rather nice. You know, you turn somebody on. You go, this is that. That's pretty good. You can do that. If someone's truly generous uh, to me, you know, not, you know, in order to buy something or win some approval, I'm really touched by that. I'm really touched by that. And if I can find something I can give or offer, hey, that's really nice. I like to do that. You know, it's a way of connecting and touching, and there's a sense of something just really wholesome and lovely opens up. You know, so I, I enjoy that. You know. And so he's saying, well, just remember this. This is your first. This is your first. This is your first key. When, so whenever you do that, or are you remembering that you like to do that? Where, where is that liking? You know, is it in your eyes? Is it in your fingers? Is it in your tongue? Is it in, no, it's in your. It's a heart sense, isn't it? It's a jitta sense. So, and we recognise there's this beautiful tone that occurs with such things. And then he talks about a little bit further sense of of sila or virtue. What's it like to have mistrust? What's it like to be jealous? What's it like to be malicious? What's it like to live free of that? So we're not abusing. We say kindly things. We can bring that up. We can feel sense of kindness, we can feel a sense of treasuring others, so we don't want to hurt, belittle, injure anyone. That's rather nice. I like that. It's kind of a nice soft feeling. I like that. Even I feel my body soften when I do that. My body tone can get pretty armoured, you know. When you give me a hard time, I can start armour up, I can toughen up. I'm a man. <laughs> I give as good as I get, you know. But you know, I don't have to do that, you know, I don't get shocked or panicked or frightened. You know? It's rather nice to just be kind and generous and gentle and loving. And that's rather pleasant. Enjoy that. There's opportunities. Um, and it's one of the, I found one of the beautiful things about this possibility of living in a Buddhist way with other Buddhists and so on. So just the tuning into that you know, is again the same kind of signal. Very inner, not as if it's kind of dissociated from everything that goes on around me. It's occurring in, in contact. There's not some kind of, you know, totally isolated, disconnected idea, but pragmatically experienced. And there it is, you know, it accompanies the wholesome mind state. So I like to do a bit more of that, because I enjoy it, you know. And then you, you get into a feedback loop, because of course the more one is like that, then there's a good chance that people start to bring some of that back. But whether they do or don't, in a way, is secondary, because, you know, that's it's up to, you know, one, oneself to, to generate this and we can enjoy it in ourselves. And so when this starts to occur, then actually the, the need to derive that pleasurability from, from just sense contact pales. 
it diminishes. Not a sense of disapproval, but you, it diminishes. And you begin to see also that there's certain dangers or certain traps in sense contact. It tends to pull you out and excites and, and it kind of take it, it maybe shifts your attention away from the, the wholesome tonality of being, which is something softer. So when you get overexcited, it's easy to get into the kind of buzz of all that and maybe lose balance. So certainly in my own experience, you know, that that can occur, having quite a lot of fun in some ways. But it's all all the attention has gone out to the surface and has lost the quality of of tonality in heart. So there's a there's a there's a danger there. If we're not so there's a sense of it's good to have that quality of recollection and collectedness. So we were able to contain and stay with the tonality of being. And it doesn't mean we can't contact others. You know? And then from this, the whole process of um, meditation starts to be generated. One's attention, um, you know, one's attention sphere starts to gather around this whole process of body, mind, heart. Finding, you know, it's in here. It's happening here. <coughs> the um, and then the Buddha teaches the what are called the four noble truths. The origin, uh, there is there is this suffering and stress. It's something to be acknowledged, not ashamed of, or feel blamed by. Uh, there it is. It's something that we carry. It is, there is an origin of that, and there is a, a release of that, or a stopping of that, and a path. This is where the whole cultivations begin. But we've had to, had to, had to come to that through highlighting and recognizing this fundamental quality of wholesomeness and, and the enjoyment of that. It's not righteousness, which is a head term, it's, it's wholesomeness, which is a heart term. And this is, you know, just notice how the language can take one out into the kind of ideals and head stuff and trying to really bring it back into the, the, where, it, where you can feel it. Because it is to be enjoyed in, settled in, indulged in even, that quality. Because it's from this place or from that tone that we can begin to bring around the healing um, of the damage or the, the kind of suffering that's stuck in us. So, you know, liberation, you know, liberation is a is a sort of ideal term again. Um, healing is perhaps more a feeling term. To are, to a certain extent, synonymous. Perhaps liberation takes us a little further. But healing covers a good part of what the path is about. Making oneself whole, healing. Holiness is, is healing.
And as with any particular medicine or massage or healing, you have to be able to touch or enter or get that to the place that's damaged or wounded. Now, just to, so a bit of contact is necessary there. Attention is necessary there. Intention is necessary there. It has to be placed in there, got in there. And these are um, how sankharas operate. So you know, we call it these three levels of it, the cognitive level, yeah, which is a particular formation, formative tendency, we form thoughts, thoughts keep crystallizing there. The heart formations, where the moods and perceptions of volitions start crystallizing, and the body formation, where this bodily sense starts crystallizing, keeps crystallizing and arising, yeah. where the body feels good, bad, whole, big, large, small, contracted, bright, radiant, numb, you know, those are all body senses and they are, this, this is the, uh, the, the sankhara is the, is the forming, it's an energetic formation of these into, into tangible realities. And the way that occurs is through, each of those occurs, each of those are crystallizing through contact, volition and attention. So just like when you get a supersaturated solution in a, in a, in a uh, chemical and you drop one, cr- one seed crystal into it, suddenly the whole lot crystallizes. Yeah. So that's contact. That is, um, so for example, you know, when you, you see something, dong, bell, that means the crystal, the penny has dropped, we say, you got it. And then the word comes up out of that out of that momentary seed of understanding. This kind of pattern: bell, ring the bell. Now I know what a bell is. I can ring the bell, make sound, and so all this stuff occurs out of that crystal of contact where we, we, where the meaning hits the mind. And that's what Vitaka does, right? It, 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 takes, it gets it. So we can do that, and and when we do that. <coughs> you know, that's, a, that's an example of how contact enters the mind. Uh, so, you know, we get some clarity, some understanding there. Contact entering the heart uh, you know, is things like loving kindness, isn't it? When you suddenly feel warmed, loved, touched. When you feel the loving kindness, that contact. If we can allow that to happen to us, if we can allow ourselves to, to experience that towards ourselves, towards others, you know, towards something, or vice versa. You know, this is why we have dogs, isn't it? Because they don't mind being loved. Any time of the day, you can stroke them, cuddle them, scratch them. They're fine with that. Humans are a bit... And, uh, <laughs> you know, give a dog a biscuit and a bowl of water and he's going to give you some good vibes back. <laughs> Doesn't always work out there with humans. So dogs, turtles, goldfish, um, 
So this is what we need, isn't it? Most people find themselves needing, or you know, we have partners, friends, and so forth. It's a little more touch and go. (laughs) 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 But the stakes are high, you know, and there's certain things that humans do that dogs just can't. So there's a bit of contact there. Um, you know, you have to get that sense of, with contact, there has to be some sense of volition, you know. I, either it's, it's directed towards me, or I direct it out, you know, I direct it towards. So there's some sort of volitional quality there, with, with metta, for example. And attention it rests on a particular object. So we need all these. We need to have a lovable object and um, that sense of it's okay, you know, you can feel this, it's allowable, um, don't be shy, uh, you know, let it, let it be there. And a sense of, of <coughs> having that, that invitation to, to bring that up so the volition is allowed. And it's, I mean, this can be an area that we, we're not all that clear about because socialization process sometimes makes this rather a, a risky and confusing business. You know, when is it okay? What do you, what, how do you express this? Um, how do, you know, is this allowable? Is this all right? Um, does this mean somebody feels intruded upon? You know, how do you do this? Because uh, we, we may not, the channels may, may not be open. But being able to, be able to practice that, at least in the heart, whatever else can happen, then towards oneself. And that's very important, that with loving-kindness, it must be both ways. Can one generate a sense of nourishing oneself? So metta, when we think of a word like love, again, it can go up into the head and all sorts of strange things happen to it. But um, what might be more useful is to consider Metta is the nourishing principle, to feed, to nourish. And karuna, or compassion, is the protective principle, to shelter, to, you know, to protect from harm. And th- those, I find those quite uh, helpful uh, languages. Um, so it's not bound up with um, you know, sense desire or lust or worrying about people. Or, you know, or, or kind of these, or, or sort of romances, which are strange mixtures of projections and so forth. And just the wish and the intention to nourish in some way, to enrich in some way. And then when we begin to explore, they find there's quite a few ways in which one can do that. You know, just even thinking or regarding the kindly eye or listening with sympathetic ear. Another way that contact is in the citta is, we might say, um, faith or gladness, inspiration, feeling gladdened, inspired, delighted by uh, what's good or bright or lovely in people. We feel this kind of, I feel this sense of 
happiness, um, uplift, the other people's goodness. Then, you know, again, one has to look out for it, attend to it, pick it up. You can always find one's, one's mind attending and picking up what's wrong. This is, a, this is a trained faculty of the thinking mind. Find out what's wrong. Thinking mind has, you know, then you, get, you get trained to have finer and finer degrees of tolerance. You know, exactly precisely right is the ideal. You know, when you're doing um, geometry or math or something like that, it's got to be exactly right, and this isn't quite right, and that isn't spelt exactly right, and that's a little bit skewed, and that's not this, that, and the other. So you get this very refined critical faculty, and which is able to tell how everything is slightly wrong. The ideal, nothing is ideal. But then training oneself to to sense what's right or good. You know, to touch it with the heart. This is a training because, to my mind, it doesn't take much effort at all to consider how things could be better than they are right now. I could feel better. I could be better. This could be somewhere better. Easier, warmer, friendlier, more relaxed, joyful, pleasant, agreeable, interesting, stimulating, exciting, rewarding, promising, opportunity, you know. No effort at all. You sit there for a while and it starts coming up. (laughs) 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 And then actually recognizing how, hey, things could be a lot worse here, you know. Oh yeah, good reminder of that. And then starting to appreciate the goodness. The goodness here. Here is harmlessness, here is virtue, here is aspiration. Just sensing that. And you think, oh, it's quite lovely to be here. Suddenly, it feels very nourishing and fine here. Oh yeah. And it's amazing how the mind can just kind of shift from a disgruntled state into a state of complete gratitude. <laughs> when you really touch, touch that place. These are ways, means, to, of, of nourishing the heart. And, and the, so the one thing that the Buddha recommended was just how to be content with uh, requisites. We've got enough food today. Isn't that wonderful? we had enough food today. We didn't have lasagna, no, but we had enough food today. <laughs> I wear the chocolate fudge, no, but we had enough food today. <laughs> Isn't that nice? You know, great. And we're warm. We shelter. Roof doesn't leak. Um, Isn't that nice? You know, imagine what we like if the roof was leaking and no glass in the windows. Oof. So you know, contentment, just acknowledging. You know, what is good and happy on that level. Whereas, of course, our training is 
very much in don't be content. It's not good for business. You need, you not only need, but you are, you'll be disempowered unless you have the most up-to-date modern da-da-da-da-da, you know. You'll be deprived unless you've got the, the new ultrasonic razor. It's th- your old one's two years old now. You know. Something wrong with you. So just to be content. And to dwell in it. Because this is, we're actually starting to integrate the blessings of our life into a, a real, not just a kind of momentary flash, but a real abiding place. And that's very important to get that. Because then in a way, it acts as the base in which the bodily sense can start to ease up. The bodily sense is um, dependent upon <coughs> certain you know, um, heart, mo- heart qualities um, that are per- perceived as external. So we might, you know, if we find a situation, an external situation, welcoming, friendly, and so forth, our bodily sense starts to relax. If we find it to be damaging or difficult, we stiffen up. And we can create that in our mind. You know, so we see the bad, the unfriendly, we see the intimidating, we see that around us. We, we pick up those bits of crystal, those seed crystals, and drop them into our, into our dish. Then you get this boom, pattern arises. Yeah. And, we do have it, and then your body starts to kind of freeze up somatically, go rigid, defensive. Um, and then you can take the right seeds and drop them in, and your body sense starts to relax. Because it's, in a way, it's all mind. You know? So all these levels, the, the both, even the bodily level, is an aspect of mind or mind and aspect of that, it's affected by mind. In this sense, it's affected by um, the, these, these senses of it. But uh, actually the process of, of fully healing and fully amplifying the bodily sense is where um, practices of meditation, practices of samadhi start to be, be most relevant because then we can actually really get in there getting deep in there we can create a, a, a suitable context around us and that's that's helpful but for really ironing out these these um, these bodily states of withdrawal contraction tension uh, deadness agitation you need to developing samadhi or you or look at it the other way around whenever you whenever you work like that in terms of your in terms of your body sense you are developing samadhi you are cultivating the way of samadhi so you look at it that way around you know anything that's starting to give rise to um, penetration of bodily presence bringing a wholesome tone, a good healing tone into bodily presence. Anything that's doing that is going to be conducive to, to samadhi. Samadhi is the, is the thorough resting in that state of bodily ease and well-being.
Now we can develop that, for example, through metta. Just picking up that tone, developing it, developing it, developing it, and then starting to really feel it, the energy of that, and bringing that into our bodily sense. Of course, the standard way, or the, the general way, is through bod- mindfulness of body, body sweeping, picking up bodily tone, going into the body textures with that particular wholesome tonality. And, or mindfulness of breathing, where you actually begin to use the rhythm and the energy of breathing to penetrate your bodily sense. And so you're getting the contact there. It, you know, so you can't do that unless you have contact. You know, you've got to contact that place and, and deliberately intend that well-being into those places. Otherwise it doesn't work. So you can't just do it from your head, if you see what I mean. Nor can you cultivate samadhi from your head. From I want to it, I should do it, it's about time I did it. Why don't I get on with it? Do it, do it. Damn you, do it. Get in there, concentrate. It doesn't work like that at all, because you just your head jabbering away. And what tends to happen is the body sense starts thinking, goodness me, who's that maniac up there? <laughs> <laughs> and shuts down, you know. So you get tight and shut down. <clears throat> so you've got to come from a place of trust, ease, well-being, so that the, the, the sense of the shock and the, or the seizures in the body begin to open up. Now this can be quite a, a gradual process, um, and so it's, it's important to recognize liberation is a, is a natural process, it's a gradual process, and the Bu- Buddha is saying, you know, it doesn't take liberation as a kind of, you know, ideal, end of the line, trumpets play, curtains drawn, here we are. He's saying any moment when you let go of a little bit of hatred, we call that liberation from hatred. Any moment when you stop beating yourself up, we call that liberation from hatred. It doesn't have to be forever. You know, any moment you acknowledge that pattern and are able to stop doing it, are able to penetrate you know, what, what that's about and the delusions of that, and the delusions of the ideologies that go behind that, that somehow this will do me some good, you know, teach me a lesson, you know, pull me up, these kinds of things, these are head terms. Uh, anytime you, you begin to put aside those uh, ideologies, you begin to liberate ourselves from wrong view. And this can be something we do, you know, we're able to you know, do this in, periods of time and then, it, then we get caught again. Every time you get caught then it's to acknowledge that and uh, pick it up again, pick up the practice again. Rather than going to, oh, I can't do this, here I am again, stuff where we're, we're actually sustaining a wrong view. <coughs> Always also in, in this practice when you begin to encounter or touch into the suffering or the stress or the damage or the hurt, you, it, to realize you've got to approach that from, from a healthy place. The suffering itself is not enough. Just to suffer um, doesn't, is not enough. You've got to suffer 
from from a from a from a, a healthy place. You see what I mean? Just like um, you know, the body will tend to close a wound by you know the healthy tissues will start to form new tissues across that wound. It starts from the perimeter and it starts to fill up that, you know, cover that wound with new tissues. There's no point in just kind of ripping the wound open, opening it up, saying, I'm being honest here, really getting into it here, you know, not denying it anymore. (laughs) 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 Or, Or even just kind of concentrating on it. So, you know, meditation is not an obsessive process. It's not where you just kind of hit something and then just obsess onto it or get fixated on it. There has to be this process, which is where Vitaka and Vichara really come in, the ability to, where the cognitive faculties are actually extremely useful. So that's that, now, uh, uh, then it feels, you know, we can feel ourselves getting caught, so let's turn the attention here. Here, let's remember this. Let's remember, just come out of that, not to deny it, but just to come back to a healthy place pick up the right tone, which is your healing tone, may I be well, or whatever it is, you know, and then, then come back again with, from the healthy place. So it's like being able to review a pla- well, um, from a place of loving kindness, or a place of inspiration, or a place of compassion, or a place of um, pure awareness, a place of mindfulness where one is actually standing, if you like, on the edge of the suffering, but not into it, so you can relate to that. That's, that's very crucial, because uh, the suffering areas in our lives often have a tremendous magnetic compulsive pull to them. You know, we feel a painful memory and we boom, go into that uh, and, and get drawn into it, and uh, this is not suitable. You end up just revisiting and re-traumatizing, if you like, the old stuff again. So where the cognitive faculties come in is the ability to be objective. It's like this now, and I don't think I'm handling this too well. Let's move back to a place where I, where I can gather my resources again. This can be done through recollection, just recollecting. It can be done through recollecting friendship, recollecting virtue, recollecting generosity, recollecting the triple gem. It can be done through mindfulness, whereby one retains mindfulness of the wholeness of the body or the wholeness of the mind. This is the mind, and there's an effect of fear. We don't just get into the fear, we are with the mind and recognizing we're being affected by fear. So you've got to a place you can stand on, where you can feel this stuff touching, or nudging, you know, or speaking, and but you always stand on your good place. So, this is um, this takes this. This is what the skill of the satipatthana is about. It's not about you know um, kind of writing it all off or just seeing it in some neutral way, but being able to navigate and negotiate with the difficulties of experience in our lives.
samadhi itself is is um, <coughs> something whereby one can dwell in in the in the good feeling, uh, and but it's not considered to be a final liberation uh, because it um, tends to have an absorptive quality rather than a reflective quality, and it's this relational sense that's so significant, whereby one can. Be in the be in the good place and just start to touch into or contemplate the um, unsatisfied or the unsatisfactory and really uh, recognize it, um, release it. Whereas samadhi tends to just take you into a very good place. Who wants that? Yeah. 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 Yeah.